Hello, welcome adventurers to the Travelogue, a podcast in which I, Stephen Hoffert, my pronouns are he, him, and Lily Lavin, she, her, will be diving into the world of Faerun from the Dungeons & Dragons tabletop role-playing game. We'll go area by area, town by town, to provide a background of canonical lore, as well as suggestions of what type of counters you can run in an area, or what type of character you create whose background is based in an area. This week we're covering the southern part of the Enrock Desert, often called the Sword, from the Goblin Marshes up. Lily, do you do you like a desert setting for your fantasy? I feel like as a Star Wars fan, I'm kind of like set up to with a predisposition to think they're amazing. Yeah, deserts are cool. I think I don't know. I think I would get tired if we played like a full desert campaign. But then again, I feel like I might get tired if we played a full anything campaign, mm, I suppose. Yeah. I got like a nice variety, but deserts are cool. I like, um, you know, kind of the desert aesthetic of like the, you know, the scarves and the kind of like full body clothing, but not full body clothing, like warm or like cool, not cool as in like wicked, but cool as in like mm-hmm. drafty full body clothing. I always really like that in desert because you always think like, yeah. I don't know, when I was a kid, at least it was like desert setting. Everyone dresses like the beach. And then it's like, wait a second, you would just die. <laughs> so I really like, you know, the, the aesthetic of like yeah. desert raiders. It's always really, I really like that aesthetic. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's quite cool. I also like the idea of like finding stuff. Yeah. I, I, like it's cool that like you're walking down the desert and you stub your toe and you're like what is this and you dig underground and it's like a city you know yeah I, the lost the lost things is a really fun desert trope that i like and the like the fact that it's so inhospitable it's more realistic or i guess more prone to have yeah. things lost because people just don't they don't develop there they don't build cities there so they if anything's lost in the desert it's kind of lost forever or until intrepid adventurers walk walk along it yeah i think it's pretty cool i think it's very cool the hollow the hollow at present day skull gorge was cave homes of the first humans on toriel the nethries kept these caves as curiosities but due to no magic being found there they were often forgotten the hollowway was set up as a base camp for the archaeological excavation of the caves but was quickly abandoned by most hopeful treasure finders when nothing but clay pots and primitive tools were found the lack of wizards' presence helped it survive the war with Faerun, and the survivors of the town went south to Halruya. Lady Dove now stands near the former settlement. That's that uh, inn that we talked about a couple episodes back, where the dragon lady was, the dragon expert lady was. Oh, yeah, yeah. So is Lady Dove there now now, or Netheril? Now, now. Okay, so like in the desert? Uh, no. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I love it, though. It's like this is like the cradle of humanity. First humans were uh, were born here, and they're like, mm, not magic, though. Boring. It, it looks on the map like the sword is deserted, though. The, the sword? Yeah, the, the sword is desert. We, we're just a bit below. We're just a bit below it. Yeah, we're, we're, we're in Skull Gorge. This is Skull Gorge. Oh, we're a bit below the sword. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, that's cool. I like the idea of, like, I don't know, cave cavemen. I think it's a funny yeah. <laughs> concept in d and it's just, it's just funny to me because it's just like, what are they, like, I understand that humanity had to start somewhere, but the thing is that, like, there were already arc wizards. <laughs> like, the Terraceer was going around before yeah. humans. Like, like uh, Yeah, I do find it very funny with, uh, f- with Forgotten Realms that, like, there's literal physical gods, yet they still apparently let things up to evolution in a lot of ways <laughs> and it's like uh, you you'd think with a like gods are a real narrative that they 
would it be a creation myth? It wouldn't be an evolution thing? Yeah, I'm a little I'm a little confused about that though, because there's the creator races and it kind of just says the creator races were around and then the rest of the races appeared. And so it's kind of like I don't know, I've always been a little confused about whether it actually was evolution or if like gods just split those races up into stuff. Because it seems like there was a period when there was the creator races and then all of a sudden there was just like humans. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my question of it all is is it like did the gods make the creator races and then humans were just kind of part of that or like and it, it's very yeah i don't know it's not very clear yeah i mean well humans have been around since the creator races so i think yeah. i think humans they are technically creators yeah. they're technically so i think creators. humans have actually just been around since forever and i don't think at least i've yeah. never read anything that says they came from monkeys or anything i just think it's funny that like but they did grow up from neanderthals it says did they yeah they were like a more ape-like form and then they came huh. and like because yeah <laughs> super weird super weird <laughs> what if what if the original i know makers char and whoever made the creator races made them and then the humans were like kind of the orcs they were like dumb neanderthal just kind of basic feed eat kill creations and then they evolved into something smarter and everyone was like oh wait that one that one was the one that survived. <laughs> <laughs> the Gollum Marshes are now a narrow strip of land between the Stormhorns and the Anorak. Though, although technically a part of the Kingdom of Cormier, this rind of land is all but devoid of human inhabitants. There are, unsurprisingly, a lot of goblinoid races. These were the remnants of clans that fought in the Battle of Bones. There's enough land for the goblins to fight over amongst the different clans, preferring their odds against each other than the trained soldiers to the south. The marshes are primarily rough grassland. Their meager vegetation broke by small streams, rocky outcroppings, and occasional gnarled corpse. There's a great deal of subsurface water here, and underground streams and pools have edged caves and tunnels into the underlying bedrock, some of which rise very near the surface. Throughout the Goblin Marshes, and especially in the Stonelands, Ruined castles and remnants of ancient cities can be found in the wilderness. In the marshes, these structures are often goblin fortresses of more organized past. The goblins and orcs of the marshes are oddities in Toriel. Many are spellcasters, with traditions dating back to lost empire they once held here. There are many tribes with large organization of mages who toil and study magical power. There is a tribe of orcs with lycanthropy, which they can bestow on certain warriors dedicated to their faith, there's also a tribe of goblins that make their home on lakes and can live up to 100 years old, possibly due to a blood-red lily they cook and eat with their meals. They're allied with bugbears and breed giant frogs as other goblins would train wargs to protect their homes. I love this just a little place where goblins are just like, <laughs> fight! Like it's just... Exactly, they just fight over and then <laughs> have gotten super into... Some weird, some weird stuff. <laughs> like, it's just so funny. Why are they just sitting here fighting? Like, there's a whole continent out there, guys. What are you doing? <laughs> weird. What is it with this weird little insular goblin orc community? I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, I like, really like that there's a, like, a, if you wanted to have a deeply rooted, an orc with a deeply rooted magical tradition, this is a really cool place for that. Yeah. If you wanted a long, a weird long-lived goblin and kind of think about like what that does to a goblin to be long-lived, are they more uh, care, like what, what their kind of personality is based on that? There's a name. I don't remember. I think 
the monster manual or uh, Volos, one of them, I forget which one, calls out there's a name specifically for orc spellcasters, just like how hobgoblins have a name. Oh yeah, like there's a that's cool. Well, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of different kind of kind of orcs because they're like unlike humans and stuff. They're actually like orcs are like from a different Grumsh's. They're from Grumsh's plane of existence. Yeah, like I'm. I don't want to get into the whole inherently evil or not orcs or anything that really doesn't matter to this but like they are literally mm-hmm. like or grumsh was just like orcs now right. and so there's a whole bunch of orcs that are like touched by grumsh in a different kind of way like there's an orc that's really stealthy mm. and is able to train giant bats that fly silently and they fly up into they right. fly up into towers of mages and princesses and freaking assassinate them in the night that's so cool who would have thought of an orc doing that yeah. the picture <laughs> of them is really cool too they're like climbing on the back on a saddle of this giant bat like scaling the this massive tower wall very cool that's very cool and so there's one then there's one eyes that are essentially like they're kind of similar to like the myth of odin but put onto orcs oh and like orcs orcs with one eye because grumsh i think has one eye they're considered to be like very wise and awesome and stuff but there's right, a specific right, right. name for orcs who can do magic i forget what it is though because they're considered like touched by the orc god of magic or something oh that's cool that's so cool yeah okay yeah i I love that i i would love this kind of with how nethril uh in that place the skull gorge is kind of the or the cradle of humanity maybe this is like where the portal opened from grumsh's realm or like the portal the orcs came through maybe this was where it came from and like that's why you have this kind of ancient remains of a civilization right that would be pretty funky they've that'd be pretty cool of course evolved on Toril for yeah. you know thousands of thousands of years since yeah, the yeah, Grumsh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, that is very yeah. cool. Also, I don't know why I'm thinking about this now, but something that I love pointing out is that orcs are blue. Yeah. <laughs> everyone I, I everyone thinks they're green. Well there's gray orcs too. Green, but they're there's there's I mean the orc and there's there's different there's different orc. types of orcs. No, I know, but if yeah. you look at like all the official art right. <laughs> it's either blue gray. Like it's yeah. not actually just gray, it's it's blue gray. Mm-hmm. And then there's blue orcs and then there's I think there's one green orc, and the reason it's green, like it has a reason that it's green. Oh yeah, yeah, because I think like they it's think one of these like World of Warcraft orcs, right? Those are green. Yeah, they must be. I don't know. Somewhere along the line, orcs became green, but I kind of <laughs> like the fact that they're blue. Um, I like I like the blue. I personally like Lord of the Rings orcs, like from the movie depiction, more than like the big tusk kind of more boar looking orcs. I think they're both kind of cool. They both got they both got their their pros and cons or benefits but i know that i've just loved the design of the orcs in lord of the rings yeah they're pretty cool the urukai mm-hmm. in the time of ancient nethril the military outpost blister was surrounded on all sides by sheer mountains this military outpost was a perfect strategic stepping stone to the lands south of nethril it's impossible to get a large number of attackers into the city safely due to the hazardous climb necessary to approach unless magic or flying mounts were used the outpost repelled an attack by Faerim early in the war but barely but barely, and the survivors were easily killed by a joint orc and cobalt force. Whatever is left of this outpost, if anything, lies in the stone. I love how they were able to fight off the terrifying, monstrous, magical pharaohs, and then some kobolds and orcs came around and were like, and they lost. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, they were kind of just waiting for it, I think. They were like, oh, look, they just got messed up. Oh, yeah, because they barely survived. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Barely survived. These kobolds yeah. just come in and they're like, look you're hurt i'm gonna make you dead (laughs) 
You think you're so great? <laughs> the Sillands, east of the Goblin Marshes. This area is actually more fertile than the Goblin Marshes, but the frequent violent storms that lash the surface make any sort of agriculture impossible here as well. The Stonelands are named for the large, monument-like spires which scatter haphazardly across the otherwise unremarkable landscape. Some number of these rocks are hundreds of feet high, but most are much smaller. All of them give the impression that they fell from the sky and landed awkwardly. Storms thrash the area with high winds, hail, and frequent lightning strikes, sometimes so frequent that they seem continuous. Rumor has it that occasionally these tempests rain down acid or even fire, possibly remnants of a Netherese experiment gone wrong, or an effect of the Sharn and Faerim magic colliding. A few dinosaurs found their home here, and quite a few monsters. However, it was revealed by a princess of Cormier that the Zentarum were bringing the creatures here in an attempt to overwhelm the northern defenses of Cormier. Okay, we've tried subterfuge, didn't work. We've tried a cabal of mages, didn't work. Okay, we've gotten our sky knights to try and attack from the sky, that didn't work. Those fucking purple dragon knights are just too coordinated. We tried sneaking a full band into Suzale, the capital. It didn't work. All right, Gregory, you're up. What do we do? Uh, okay, hear me out. We're gonna get a bunch of dinosaurs, right? And we're just gonna start, like, putting them in this place next to Cormier, just, like, casually. And then, uh, I don't know, that'll stop Cormier? <laughs> like what the, what the heck is this plan i know well, what, just, what a weird plan just put the dinosaurs there okay gregory then when do the dinosaurs attack no like eventually they'll just like become a nuisance you know like there's just so, be really so many dinosaurs right next to their place you know they're gonna have to deal with it and that'll probably you know inconvenience them especially <laughs> <laughs> what is this moving all their stuff to an inch to the left plan? Like, this is so funny. <laughs> it's so like, funny. They're really running out of yeah. ideas to take on Cormier here with this one. <laughs> also, right. I love... They're like, I don't know, we tried everything. <laughs> also, I love how it's not like a Cormier spy that figured it out. Like, if, if the princess... I mean, maybe the princess was, you know, very well and capable and stuff. But I love the yeah. idea that she's not. And she's like a regular, you know, <laughs> just princess is what she is. And yeah. she just saw through it because it was so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> also, though, this place is, uh, I like this. It's cool. It says they look like they fell awkwardly from the sky. Um, very well, probably did. Yeah, probably did. <laughs> considering the location. But um, I'm really getting a picture of like, do you know, I can't remember the name of the park right now, but that uh, area in China where the oh, mountains yeah, very, like, are all just like, they just look like fingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like yeah. there's the really famous um, twin temples on the top of two because there's these two that are really close together, close enough to build a bridge between the two of them. And the tops of these little peaks that look like mountain fingers are just big enough to fit the temples. So like they're not even particularly wide on top. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you've never seen these, these look like something out of Avatar. They're one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. It takes something like 200,000 steps to get to the top of them. Yeah. Ridiculously beautiful. But I'm really getting that vibe here of that Wuxi Mountains. Wuxi Mountains. Okay. Literally five finger mountain. Okay, this is one. This is the highest one of them. And it's 6,040 feet up. I love how they were actually called Finger Mountain. Yeah. But there's a park that has a whole bunch of these types of mountains. They're really cool. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I imagine this like that, that kind of biome, which... 
is i've been obsessed with that lately and trying to come up with a way to send y'all to a place like that because they look so cool <laughs> they but they do look so cool <laughs> with the storms and stuff though i think this would be such a cool area for um if a you had a monk i mean anything that comes from an order would work a cleric mm. especially a tempest cleric yeah a tempest a paladin storm sorcerer or a monk or anyone who has a weapon that you've decided will have to level up with them in the critical role book they're called the vestiges but uh Mm. and you have to go through trials you guys are currently doing this in our campaign to awaken um theo's sword right you have to go through essentially a trial of saving this cursed island but i think it'd be really cool for either your monastic tradition Mm -hmm. um i think i'm just getting that because of the chinese iconography here and kind of like avatar feel of it this feels like something that ang would have to do in avatar but so you have to go to the top of these like really thin awkward angled finger mountains and you have to stay up there for i don't know an entire night while the worst storm imaginable rages and you fight off um like storm elementals oh that's cool that's very cool and you have to leave all the magic items you have behind right or you have to or or you use the one that is leveling up if you're leveling that up right doesn't that That sound like a rite of passage for a, a monastery yeah, that sounds really cool. I really like that idea. Like, I could totally picture that being, like, you know, part of the air temples yeah. training where it's like, okay, so to become the air master, you have to go to the top of these finger mountains, survive an entire night while the storms thrash and you f- don't succumb to the uh, deathly pushes of the, you know, wind elementals. Yeah, no, I think that's really cool. Yeah, and well, like cool. an elemental uh, monk, like, yeah, so cool. Down on the northern edge of present-day Goblin Marshes, the ancient Nethery city of Thief's Ward was more of a haven for thieves than a city that kept them at bay. The whole culture of the city created some of the best thieves in all of Netheril. Some of the best hagglers, merchants, and professional beggars hailed from Thief's Ward. When Iulam created the Mythal, some of the guildmasters of Seventon became concerned that the ability to call upon magic whenever necessary would put an end to their profession. To combat this threat, they established Thieves' Ward, including a mythlar of its own, to hone the skills of future generation of thieves, teaching them how to survive in a mythlar based society. The city survived the war with the Faerim, but the mythlar was inert, and the survivors had nothing left to steal from the former empire that made their way south, uh, west and south, to the human cities there. The remains of this town became Wundeth. I... The entire concept of this is so funny. Oh no, the mages are becoming too magey. We need. We must build a city to train ourselves to steal well from mages. Exactly. They're developing too many ways to not get stolen from. Everybody come here. We're going to start training. But I more specifically love the idea of this is the birthplace of the arcane trickster rogue. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Like they combated the magic of the wizards by just learning illusion and um enchantment magic of their own yeah so that they could go invisible and stuff Um, yeah that's a great idea i I love that and i think it would be really cool to play say like a reborn Hmm. from this like you are one of the first 10 arcane tricksters that have ever lived and you're going around as a reborn or because you kind of need someone who either had a reason to get resurrected or you know went into a slumber mm-hmm. or lives forever and reborn kind of checks all those boxes yeah yeah no, totally but, does. and you go around and uh i love the idea of you being like you know if you run into other arcane tricksters you're like uh, uh, you think you're an arcane trickster name four of the albums 
I bet you don't even know where this school of thievery comes from. Do you even know the history? You call yourself an arcane trickster. Kids these days, you don't even understand. You know, like uh, people who are like really into classic rock. <laughs> and it's just like, shut up. People are allowed to like things. Um, but I love the idea of you play that arcane trickster. So yeah. you're just going around like, do you even know where the tradition started? I bet not. Have you ever even heard of Garrick the Sly, the first arcane trickster in Waterdeep that brought the tradition here? No, then you don't even deserve your illusion magic. <laughs> Give it back. I also, uh, it would be actually cool though. Say, yeah, a player to do that, or to have one of your your maybe not the the big bad, but someone like, antagonist in your story be this like follower of the ancient ways of arcane trickster or and they're just like the best thief they're just the world's best thief but like magical thief that sounds cool you could also run like uh if you have an arcane trickster in your party or some weird multi-class equivalent you know a rogue Mm multi-classed with wizard you might as well just be an arcane trickster a rogue multi-classed with sorcerer you might as well just be an arcane trickster but if you have some arcane trickster or equivalent in your party right i think it would be really cool you could make um like an underground dungeon here that has, you know, some specific magic item created by the people who made your tradition of thievery. And like Ooh, you yeah. run into some, you know, master thief who tells you about this and you go there to get it as like, you know, I don't know, some like, you know, thief relic. If you think of thieves, like a lot of the time we come up with thieves in the lore where it's like they're kind of cultish and it's not so much like I'm just some person who picks pockets but it's like i am part of this long tradition of people who kind of treat thievery like you know a sacred right yeah and so i think it'd be kind of cool to go to like you know the birthplace of <laughs> magical thievery and find some artifact created by the first yeah. arcane trickster and wield it to i don't know do whatever you need to do yeah that'd be great in the village of loon death some fire clay huts climb the steep side of a rock pinnacle within a day's ride of the southwestern edge of the sword. Surrounded by salt flats and boasting its own deep well, it is a formidable, easily defended stronghold. Zentarum once claimed this place, seizing it to serve as a base of operations. They spent many years here, served by the undead remains of the Goldor, the Benduin tribe that formerly owned and held the village. When the Black Road, the Zentarum tradeway through the dangerous desert, was finally completed, the Zentarum abandoned the place, leaving the undead behind. Funny little tidbit of Farron Toral lore is, you know how back in real life, the salt trade was huge? Mm-hmm. And it was like, if you got a salt mine, you became rich? Right, yeah. There is so much salt everywhere in Toril that yeah. becoming a salt merchant is considered like shooting yourself in the foot. Really? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, salt is just apparently everywhere in Toril. And like, it's a very bad business to go into because you can just like walk into your backyard and pick up some salt. There's just so much salt. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. it's an incredibly weird piece of lore that was there. It's like, why, 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 why don't you want salt merchants? What do you, is this where, is this what you find boring, Ed Greenwood? Yeah. The trading of salt? Salt's boring. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I do think though that, uh, yeah, it's cool. There's a ruined village or a semi-empty village with undead in it guarding what you said could be a tomb of uh the ancient magical thieves that would be quite cool i feel like it would be like you go here and you find it and it's kind of like you played skyrim right right yeah you know how you join the thieves guild in skyrim and you're just like oh yeah i'm a little thief and then the thieves guild are just like no weird culty religion stuff we're gonna go into a sepulcher (laughs) and summon the lady of the night and we're gonna start some weird (laughs) pact based around keys where we dress like batman 
And it's like, whoa, dude, I just wanted to join a thieves guild. You're making me like join a cult here? This is weird. Yeah. Praise the night lady. Um, I feel like it's like it's like that, you know, you're just some thief and you go here to this tomb to find the ancient relic of the thieves, and it turns out that like your arcane tradition goes back to like this weird religious cult of thieves. The sword, the southernmost section of Anorak, stretches from the western fridge of the desert south of Orium to the northern end of the border forest in the east, with narrow strips running far north along each boundary. It is a vast wasteland of sand dunes, scorching hot by day and cold at night. The sword holds the largest portion of the desert population, and is the area most visited by outsiders, most often merchants vying for lucrative trade or adventurers seeking the lost riches of the long-buried kingdoms. In the southwestern area of the sword is a region known for its lack of food and water. It is called the Quarter of Emptiness. Visitors, and there are few, can find nothing more than a mile upon a mile of stretching bare dunes, with bedrock exposed by the wind here and there between. Bedin seldom enter the area. There is nothing worth going in for, and it is expected that fools who choose to venture there will die of thirst about the same time their camels starve. I love this bit at the beginning of it's just like it's the very south part it's the little it's the shallow end of the desert people actually do come here mm-hmm. it sucks but this is where adventurers looking to find gold and it's like i love these adventurers who are like too scared to go into the actual desert right just going into like the very tip like the shallow end of the desert it's so <laughs> yeah. funny to me it's like come on if this is where all adventurers go what are you expecting to find here this is the obvious place that has already been picked clean it's yeah, like one go mile the in, <laughs> they come back and they're like, mm, I've seen some things. Spent a week in the Anorak Desert. And then someone else, you know, she's like, hey, shut up. You barely even walked in a mile. You call that the <laughs> desert? You could still see the grasslands. Ah, shut up. It was still harsh. <laughs> I, I dropped like it. I dropped my sword and the wind covered it in sand and I lost it. <laughs> that was my that was my that was my father's sword, okay? This is my father's sword. Oh, I, I'm sorry, Grog. I didn't mean to make you cry. It's so funny. So I funny. love this idea of these adventures just barely going in the desert. Yeah. I also love like imagining the Bedin being like, you know, they're up on some mountain with like a telescope or um, someone who can scry and they're like watching the little baby adventurers coming in just to the shallow end of the desert and they're laughing at them because the Bedin, <laughs> like it says here, they know there's nothing there. So they're just yeah. like, just like, hey, everyone, come here. Look at these stupid adventurers digging in the sand. <laughs> Idiots. Yeah. Hey, get the popcorn. I bet one of them's going to fall. <laughs> you can't walk up a sand dune with those heavy boots, idiot. <laughs> yeah, imagine plate mail in the desert. Jeez. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the southern sword is home to the Tarig. The Tarig, on average, were just over four feet tall and might be descendants from marriages between humans and the dwarves in the Tithyamar area. They are the desert folk most commonly encountered by outlanders. They dwell primarily on the eastern and southeastern fringe of the Anorak, where they herd goats and sheep in the foothills and make rare trips beyond the border of the desert to trade. They like to travel in large groups, while armed with poisoned javelins and bolts for their crossbows. Datarig have their own language and largely avoid contact with other humans. The exceptions to this are most adventurous of the tribe, who tend to be younger. 
They are often hired by outsiders who want guides into the desert, for they typically claim to be experts who know every dune and oasis of the Great Anorak. Some Dataraig who are braver than their fellows are known as desert walkers, for they venture into the desert for trade metal, uh, usually metal weapons, though pots and other vessels are valued to the Bedin in return for camel loads of collected resin. The Tatarig sell their jars of gathered resin to merchants from all over Faerun for the making of incense. Tatarig were masters of self-preservation, often seeming unloyal to outsiders as they would serve whoever would pay them the most. They have none of the land lore or stone skills of dwarves. Most must find their way in the desert by learning the oasis trails and the stars. They tend to keep to themselves out of fear for trouble. In the desert, Dutarig wear white barnooses and wraps, only splayfoot walking sandal boots, and their eyes, nose, and brows are only their eyes, nose, and brows Sweet. are exposed. I, uh, this would be a pretty cool candidate yeah. for the Tasha's custom lineage. Mm, yeah, I think this would be quite cool. Play a Dutarig. Um, you know, the lines have been so blurred that you're hardly considered half dwarf anymore. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think you could do some interesting stuff, you know, get for your racial feat that you get for being that. Take the mold earth cantrip. Or poisoner. Because it says they have poison spears and crossbows. Yeah, that could could work too. I think you get a tool proficiency with, uh, custom lineage. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think this would be a pretty good candidate for custom lineage. I also think this is a pretty good... I mean, we'll get into the Bedin later, right? Yeah. Um, but I think Dutarig and Bedin are also a good way to get that desert character without having to be a Kalashite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Because I feel like that's always what it's like if you want to play someone from the desert or a Janassi. I mean, I don't think this place is known for Janassi, but it's kind of like, yeah, you know, I want to be kind of desert flavored, but you're up in the northern Sword Coast. And it's like, well, yeah. here you go. Yeah. And also, like, so if you read about them, the the original written lore or like the lore written about them 30 is very mean to the Tarig. It's like very like a lot of unflattering adjectives and like descriptors for them, um, which is not necessary by any means. But they are not based in their lore, in their names, in their kind of customs, they don't seem to be based on any Earth civilizations. While the Bedin are heavily inspired by, um, well, in, they they take a lot of uh, names and a lot of customs and a lot of uh, dress from uh, Arabic cultures. So it's nice that the Tarig, you can kind of divorce yourself right. from anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that they're wholly original. I also like that, um, well, not I like, but sorry. It Their original lore reminds me of, do you know anything about Dark Sun? No. Uh, like, oh, I know it's like a post-apocalyptic kind of setting. Yeah, so it's like pretty much all desert. It's like Mad Max. And various themes mm-hmm. kind of cross over with Anorak. Like the world is a desert because of magic gone bad. Right. But there's a race called Mules. Mm-hmm. and they're half dwarven and they're bred to be slaves and it's just like the worst part of the dark sun setting i understand that like it's supposed to be this evil terrible setting where everything sucks yeah. but like the three e for anyone listening the three e lore of if you've never heard of the Datarig, the way they talk about them i feel like is kind of similar to the mules in dark sun right if anyone is more familiar with them and it's like yeah, it's kind of just this unnecessary where it's like, like okay, have the lore where they were created by people for nefarious reasons, but then you don't have to continue to just 
crap on them after right. that. <laughs> yeah. Like, they, okay, they can be bred to be slaves or whatever, but they can still be people. Yeah. Like, Gosh. I know it's something I was thinking about in between last episode and I guess this episode, because I knew we were coming up to the desert is the fact that like, not only did whatever this magical mishap happen that made the desert happen. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, so I can understand it's like, oh no, we got too wild with magic and like the pharaoh absorbed everything and whatever, it became a desert. But like, it's wild to me that it didn't just like blight the land. Right. It changed the weather. Because <laughs> it doesn't even make any sense. You've got like, you walk from desert into glacier, yeah. one, if you go to the north, and then you go like right next door to it, Everesca is just like, hmm, yes, wonderful mountainous green lush forests. And then you walk like, you know, two days and you're just like, Hush desert. Like it changed the 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 weather yeah. <laughs> and the climate. It's so weird to me. It's like how does this even make well, sense? It doesn't gradually it doesn't gradually get hotter like when you go to Kalamshan. It's just like that, that that's it. That's it. I, I that's the thing that I have issue though, is because it says, yeah, it played the land. They they turn into a dust bowl. But it shouldn't be hot. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. It doesn't make any sense that it's that the Anorak Desert is I know, hot. I, I mean I kinda love it though. I like the idea that it's just like this this like it's the leftover magic from yeah. Netheril and the Ferrum that is making it hot. Yeah. I mean, that's what you have to say, because otherwise it makes no that's sense. That's what you have to say, because it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it doesn't sense. make any sense. Like, I get it. It could be, you know, because we have spots where it's like, yeah, okay, nothing grows here, and it's just sand or whatever, and it's not... Yeah, there's, there's cold desert. Like, Mongolia has a huge cold desert. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like... But it's so funny to me. It's like, what is... What is and they... But... My favorite part is that the lore, okay, sure, don't explain it, but they never even mention nope. it. They just go, it's a desert now. It blighted this grass and stuff, and it became a desert. And it's like, well, wait, 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 wait. You explained that it blighted the grass and stuff. You told me it did that. But you're not going to mention the desert from here on in. You're just going to refer to it as being hot. You're not going to say it blighted the land and ruined the weather. Yeah. Like, just the fact that none of the lore comments on it at all is just very funny i think also too they needed to have the people come through be zaharim because they're like wait where, where why was there camels here they wouldn't naturally be camels here who brought camels <laughs> that's also funny which is also really funny because it's just like i don't know some guy from kalamshan was just like what there's a new desert i gotta really quick bring camels up there to sell it that sounds exactly. like a, that sounds like a place i should start selling my camels that's easy enough to write you right. don't need a portal from zikara uh, the ancient city of Razalith served as the capital of the ancient theravel the land of alabaster towers for centuries before the alliance of Seventeen was founded while Netheril expanded south to west, the sorcerers of Theravel grew in old and decadent, withdrawing into their towers to further their studies of the art. At the end of the Nether Age, the arcanists of Netheril, armed with newfound knowledge gleaned from the Nether Scrolls, overran the land of the Alabaster Towers. The attackers ripped many spells previously unknown to them from the minds of the captured Theravelian sorcerers, reducing them to gibbering husks. The fate of those who fled is unknown although some speculate that they transformed themselves into the Faerims and eventually had their revenge. The only known trace of lost Therevel is the legendary floating tower, the home and later the tomb of Ondel of the Many Spells. Ondel fled the fall of Razalith to the area that would later become known as Athalantar. Today, nothing is left of the tower except for a few twinkling motes of magic dancing in the vale north of Secumber, where it once stood. 
After the fall of Therevel, Resolith became an important garrison city for southern Netheril. Arcanus, eager to acquire new knowledge of the art from Therevel's ancient runes, descended on the city in droves. Resolith gradually faded in the importance during the Mithalar era and was one of the first cities abandoned to the Faerum during the Shadowed Age. Yo, okay, so you're a sorcerer, right? Yeah. Any sorcerer will do, but I'm going to go with wild magic sorcerer. Yeah. It fits it the best. You are descendant from one of the sorcerers of Therival. Yeah. You are a Rasilithian, a Rasilithian uh, sorcerer who escaped before Netheril, you know, fucked him up. And you're descendant from that, and that's where yeah. your bloodline comes from. And you have a quest. This, you know, is something you have to work with your DM for any of this stuff. But possibly you need to go back there and get something that was lost to time that belonged to your family. Like this would be a great MacGuffin for the DM to have placed there, you know, and maybe Mm -hmm. your family, the seek for revenge supernaturally cursed the Rasilithians and that's why they became the Ferrim. Like they Mm. didn't turn themselves into the Ferrim. And so maybe your bloodline has been able to resist this curse but it's still an active thing you have to work on and right that would be cool i mean i think sometimes we're afraid of what if your magic drains life around you anytime you cast it and you don't know why and it's because of this start of the pharaoh curse that would be cool i was thinking yeah i mean that's a good way to make it start i was thinking you knew about it and like the idea is that you've written in a way to make the game harder for you like if everyone else wants to play on easy mode but you're like yeah i've played so many campaigns i want to play hard mode Mm. you write something in that you have to always do to resist the curse of the pharaoh and make sure your dm is on board so that you have a real chance of your character's story ending by you turning into a pharaoh and your party killing you yeah yeah so like it's actually like your family just found a way to resist the curse Mm -hmm. and like so if you're going to play a character like this you have to be ready for like that ending if you're gonna go with that ending yeah. because you can't be like oh dm you're a jerk for not including the special plant i need here and it's like no you should have stockpiled the special plant before going to the desert you idiot yeah <laughs> you're a pharaoh now um, but i think that would be really cool you know you're always struggling with this and yeah maybe if you cast fourth level and higher spells hmm. it destroys everything or eats plant life in a 30 foot radius around you 10 foot radius that way you can still yeah. get away with minor illusion in the city without screwing right. everyone over um i don't know that's really cool and maybe there's like a i think it's really cool you could even add in maybe like a counter where it's like the closer you get to pharamhood the lower the spell levels become so eventually you cast it you cast a second level spell yeah right like you you cast i don't know um rhymes binding ice and the ground around you turns blighted and you're like oh shit right this is getting bad and then later you cast like a first level you know uh whatever you know burning hands and that blights the land around you and you're like oh f- fuck yeah okay i'm gonna turn into a pharaoh like tomorrow we need to go get this thing i'm always doing right now stop whatever we're doing you look over at the paladin like halfway through stabbing a monster and you're like no ignore the monster we must go <laughs> that's great. i don't want to be the next monster you fight <laughs> yeah i think that's a really cool concept making it harder hard character yeah. to pull off but even if you took out the turning into a pharaoh thing just cool place to have your sorcerer ancestry come from mm-hmm. very cool very cool place uh, today, the ancient city stands in the southern part of the Quarter of Emptiness, half buried in a massive sand dune. 
Circling walls of gray stone surround the series of alabaster towers, which in turn encompass a fortress of unusual design and construction. Bedin tribe discovered this locale and rejoiced when they investigated a well and found a great cavern filled with sweet, flowing water many feet below the desert surface. But their joy was short-lived, for this cavern was an entrance to the domain of the Faerims and their Azabai servitors. Only a few children who had camped outside the walls because they were afraid to sleep in a place of so much stone escaped. Asabai are lizard folk. Oh, okay. It's uh, Asabis, also known as uh, Laerti, reptilian humanoids that dwelt in the desert. So they're just desert lizard folk. They're exactly lizard right. folk from the desert. And um, Asabai, Asabi is the Bedin word for them. In common, oh, in common oh, yeah. tongue, they're called Laerti. Oh, Laerti. Hmm. which had its origins in Netheril, and Laerty is the term they call themselves. So if you want to be desert lizard folk, here you go. Yeah. They're yellow to blend in with the sand, I guess. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I'd like that. I play desert lizard folk who have like forced or like an uneasy relationship with the Faerim and you got out. Or may- maybe the, your oh. Faerim rulers were killed by the uh, Shadow Bar returning. They were actually created by the Faerim. Oh, created by the Saruk. Oh, yeah. And, well, um, of so course. They were created... <laughs> they were cre- no, but they were created by the Saruk, apparently specifically to serve. Oh, wow. And then they went on to become Faerim slaves. And then it says here that Asabi mercenaries then later allied with the Zentarum. During their failed, oh. during their failed attempt to dominate the Anorak trade, well, there you go. that's uh, yeah. that's actually really cool. Yeah, it's cool. I think it'd be cool to play yellow lizard folk from the Zentarum. Yeah, or even like you were just saying. I think my the original idea I was going to say was pretty much exactly what you were going to say. Is uh, something happened? You got separated from all your Pharaoh masters, and you were just like, wait a second. You looked back at your house. You looked over at Escape. You looked back at your house. You looked over at Escape, and you escaped. And now you're like terrified. You're always looking over your shoulder because like Pharaoh are yeah. <laughs> scary and magical. They might be able to find you at any moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good place for, I think that's just a really good place to be a lizard folk and you don't come from the swamp. Because yeah. one of the problems I have with lizard folk is that it's just like, you're from a swamp. <laughs> you're always from and a it's swamp. Like, <laughs> exactly. And it's like, well, what if I don't want to be from a swamp? <laughs> come on, desert lizards. I want to be a bearded dragon. Okay. Yeah. Except you kind of the the issue with being a bearded dragon lizard folk is you'll probably look like a dragon. Yeah, be one of those sand runner ones, whatever. Desert desert lizard folk canon now. (laughs) Now you can be the lizard folk of your dreams without being swamp flavored. Fair. You don't have to be crocodile lizard folk. You can be sand lizard. Sand lizard. There's a lot of sand lizards. We just don't know them. I only know the one, okay? (laughs) The Lion's Eye Oasis is a verdant spot in the Western Sword. This large oasis is home to a community of several hundred Lamia, currently ruled by the Galendra. The western edge of the oasis consists of dunes topped by mesquite trees, which fall away into the forest of acacias and date palms. The wind whistles and moans constantly through a hole in the rock, which is the Lion's Eye itself. Lion's Eye runs north to join a higher level-topped ridge that forms the northern wall of the oasis. All along the inside flank of this ridge runs a high meadow, a rolling, flowered, speckled stretch of lush grass, the playground of the Lamias. This meadow slopes down to meet the palm forest. A long, narrow lake lies at the center of the oasis. Where the Lamia hide their gold and gems in sunken chests that can be drawn up by ropes tied 
to the roots of certain palms. Um, acacia are, do you know, if I say African tree? Yeah, I, I know acacias, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, with those like really kind of flat under, they look like clouds. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah they're really Quite cool. cool. Um, also, lamias, stupid. <laughs> Don't like them. I think they're dumb. There's a lot of lamias in, in this desert. You're not going to be happy. <laughs> I mean, I would imagine there is. Yes, I knew this, but don't like them. Lamia in... They're, the lamias in D&D do not look like lamias. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. The lamias... Myth- mythology. Lamia in real life is cool because just you on tea. Yeah. <laughs> lamia in D&D, stupid stupid lion thing lion centaurs they're the same i think as... they're, they're, they're trying to look like sphinxes what are they what are they Maybe. what are they like in what are those other lion races i hate Wemmicks. they're wemmicks they're just wemmicks <laughs> they just they are just they renamed just wemmicks <laughs> to get us to try and like wemmicks but i will never like wemmick even if you call it a lamia it's stupid i always thought it was funny i was like looked up lamia I'm like this is just there's they're just Leonti. It's like, why? Okay. Like, we have too much snakes. Then they're like, uh, Lamia is a lion, Mia? Um, yeah, okay, so it's a half lion, half person named Mia. Now it's a whole race. I hate them. They're stupid and they should go away. <laughs> That's all I have to say about this place. Perfect. Also, I'm sorry. They call it the lion's eye. Come on. This <laughs> yeah, is no. getting into the, the company of the frog again. <laughs> Oh, lion people, you named it the lion's eye? <laughs> See? Just, just shows how dumb Lamia are. The Verdant Oasis of Honga is full of date palms and fruit trees, recently created by the Zentarum. The tree-cloaked hill at its center hides a stone-lined well chamber. The well chamber is said to be guarded by a watch ghost, and the main oasis outside watched over by a dozen skeletons who lie in waiting in the water until an intelligent being tries to drink without muttering the proper password. A water bucket by the well and a forgotten blanket hung over a tree branch by the pool are said to bear spell traps that polymorph unfortunate who touch them without giving another password into frogs. More skeletal and dead, the whispers run, lurk high up in the palms, waiting to hurl themselves upon intruders and bury them in the ground far below. A fantastic way to catch people. <laughs> right? <laughs> An oasis in a desert, perfect. Um, yeah. There is uh, a beautiful compendium that I recommend to all of our listeners. I don't know if I've mentioned it yet but i have gotten incredible mileage out of it it is called the book of beautiful horrors mm. and it is um, honestly probably the best homebrew monster book i've ever had better than in in my opinion better mm. than the That's cobalt cool. press ones oh, very cool. it is a compendium of witcher monsters oh so they're, very cool yeah 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 really cool so i would switch the water skeletons to drowners from the witcher right. if anyone's played the yeah. witcher iconic drowners grabbing you and pulling you under the water and you're like no um perfect place to put a drowner in and if you have any people who play the witcher and you're a dm everyone will instantly the players of the witcher will instantly recognize them and freak out because drowners are scary um yeah yeah it's yeah. great yeah 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 that's very cool. cool place. Yeah. Also, cool because they don't call it, you know, evil Zentarum pool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll mention it now. The Zentarum have created a lot of oases. We'll cover them yeah. a couple. Uh, they do it by putting a decanter of, en- of endless water into the sand and then just let it run. I love that. Run. <laughs> Ingenious. Ingenious work. The Seyedar are the prize hunting lands for the Bedeen, not mentioned to outlanders. And by common agreement, not the territory of any one Bedeen tribe. These high rolling grasslands are home to the many gazelles, armringers, and few lions that prey on them. 
The Sayadar stretches east and west for almost 100 miles between a mountain range and the ruins of Orofin. It is only about half as large as north and south, but it is the finest gazelle country in all of the Unrock. Here and there in the steppes, all the trees and plants of plenty that can withstand a hot environment grow, and many of the springs rise throughout the region to keep its grass lush and tall. Bedeen who travel afoot uh, here risk attack from snakes who grow large and fat on the diet of many hares and birds. Around the edges of the Sayadar, heaths of salt brush crown the sand ridges. Cute little uh, lush area. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, I think it's really cool. I, I don't know. If, I think it would be a nice little change to the desert if you're just walking through like endless like harsh sands to then see this like kind of nice plains like land it'd also be funky you arrive here and you happen to get here at the same time that three bedin tribes have come here to kind of have like a state of the union mm-hmm. you know they're trying to come up with some sort of uh because it's neutral territory for the bedin yeah. tribes so maybe they've they've added a non-hostile clause non-hostility clause mm-hmm. while you're there and they um have come here to negotiate stuff yeah and you happen yeah, really upon cool. this negotiation and you can offer help or they can ask for your help or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. I like that a lot. The ancient city of Orlin. This place was, this is the one where Talona slayed her rival. Right. Yeah. So after all that happened, the canals were lined with thick wild tangles, which were once lush strips of parkland and more recently home to lions and other desert predators before the Bedin tribe slew them and took the city for their own. But the Bedin were slain in turn by the Zantarum army that made its last stand there and fell before the angry Bedin. The Zantarum did manage to poison the stagnant canal waters in an effort to deprive their besiegers of the water. That taint remains, making this one-time oasis a deadly watering place except for the still pure deep well in the central fortress. Windblown sand covers the foundation of long-fallen buildings, the outer edges of the ruined city, Crooked lines in the sand mark where alleys and avenues once ran. The Zent dead still roam here in these ruins, as a ravaging pack of ghouls under the control of a small band of Talanatar blightlords, who journeyed here after receiving vintage from Talona, heralding the imminent outbreak of another great plague. There's that paladin order I was saying yeah. should take up take up residence in this place. Yeah. We kind of skipped over the description here, but it uh, sounds cool. It's like desert... Um, canals that seem to be kind of like circular kind of maze-like canals sounds pretty cool but um yeah (laughs) the lore for this place is so fucking funny so people people make city talona comes in poisons city thousand years later it's fabulous not poisoned anymore great wellspring in the middle of the desert for you to stop and get some water bedin come bedin kill who is there Zentarum come. Zentarum kill the Bedin. More Bedin come and right. kill the Zentarum. This is so funny. It's like Talona comes in, kills who's there. Bedin comes, kills who takes over. Yeah. Zentarum come totally. in, kill Bedin. Yeah. Bedin come back, kills Zentarum. The Zentarum's also, like, we're going to poison it, so no one gets it. Yeah. <laughs> Talona poisons it. It gets better. Zentarum poisons yeah. it. I think that's so funny like why did this entire re-poison it not in worldwide like why did they choose to have this it's as if the writers were like you know i'm upset that we unpoisoned this place. yeah right let's re let's let's re-poison this place how do we do it i don't know zentarum but then there'll be zentarum there yeah no 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 just kill the zentarum immediately after it's fine <laughs> oh that's hilarious i love that yeah 
it even it, it, it so I did skip over it, but yeah the if it says the courtyard still has a high pressured well artisan well that bubbles uh in a fountain like so there's still a fountain running but it is this like corrupted water it's really interesting quite cool i like that they recorrupted it because cool you find an oasis finally there's water it's been a week without water or days without water you know you need a drink you need a drink you need a drink you go up and it's poisoned yeah it's poisoned exactly (laughs) you better have purified food and drink yeah be a paladin i guess yeah paladins aren't immune to poison no just disease so yeah kind of boned Talbadir is a Durtarig hilltop village that stands on the eastern edge of the sword, overlooking Thirmar Mountains. Its winding streets run along the top ridges of an, in an area of ravines and trees. An arm of plenty reaches out into the desert. Here the Zentarum trade regularly with the Dutarig, least once using this place to gather supplies to equip the desert army. This is the village where most outlander merchants come to buy frankincense and other desert goods, but they are careful to keep a low profile, for Zentarum magic rules here, behind the scenes. The wiser Dotarig resent the brutal power of the black robes, seeing beyond the gleaming gold coins they offer so profusely, and quietly work against the sense, ambushing alone or drunken mageling when they can, sabotaging equipment when possible, and even setting tents or store chests afire. So far, the Zentarum have blamed such activities on the hated harpers, but the Tatarig are walking a dangerous road, and they know it. They would only be too glad to hire or assist with hiding places and occasional healing potions. Any venturing band that would come to Talbadir and humble the Zentarum, but quietly, so as not to bring the massed might of the Zental armies down on the Tatarig anytime soon. Tatarig, who are especially resolved to fight, Talbadir is, this is where the traveling Dutarig caravan, Baradun, departs on its journey around the perimeter of the desert's edge. I love these stupid-ass centaurum. Right. It must have been the Harpers. We come here every time. It must be the Harpers. The Dutarig are sitting here just like, you know, wide-eyed, looking back, <laughs> side-eyeing each other, being like, hopefully they don't find out. Hopefully they don't know that it was the Dutarig. I love um, multiple quests you could run with this. Either the Zentarum have figured out that it was the Dutarig, and they're like, no, help! And if you have a Harper on your team, perfect reason for the Harpers yeah. to get involved, for you to phone up a Harper. Or this happened, the Zentarum were like, wait a second, it's been you the whole time! And the Dutarig are like, oh no, they figured it out, run! And you're you're one of those Dutarigs that ran, and you have survivor's guilt or whatever. Yeah. Or you want to come back and reclaim the land for the Zentarum. Yeah. Or reclaim the from land the for the Dutarig from the Zentarum. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really Especially cool. Especially if you're running a Netheril campaign, because you're kind of in that area and stuff, you know, it makes sense. I think know. you could also get a pretty good quest with, like, if you're playing in modern day, the Dutarig know that Zental Keep has fallen, and the Zentarum or in the back on a back foot so yeah. they're like now's the time to strike yeah yeah, yeah yeah i think you can go either way like either the centaurum have obliterated them and you come in to marshal the centaurum up and or the detarig up and counterattack. yeah or you arrive in the detarig are like do not but how we'll give you some gold if you like kill the centaurum with us yeah <laughs> we realized we realized that the centaurum are kind of weak right now we think and uh we kind of want them dead yeah do you think maybe you could uh do you think maybe you could help us with this and then (laughs) one of your characters is like the rolling fields of Amaharper, harper of course i'd help with that you know if there's anything we harpers hate it's this in and the detarig are like oh good 
They already think it's the Harpers that's been attacking them so perfect. Let's do it. Let's kill the Zentarum. <laughs> that's the, the, the Tariq accent now. Apparently. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you know what? The, the Tariq don't like the Zentarum. <laughs> Help us kill them. They trade with us, but we know that they're nefarious and we don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I want to play a Tatarig now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like the Tatarig. I think they're. How about the desert? I think they're fun. I, I like that there's kind of like a half dwarf civilization out there. Yeah, you know, this city, Waterdeep, it's all right, but have you ever heard of the desert? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you ever. Do you know about that? Do you know about the desert? It's better than this. <laughs> I uh, after this episode, I just really I'm gonna scour and see if anyone's ever made a half heart half hearted attempt to explain why the desert is hot here. Yeah, I. Uh, it's gonna be like yeah, the real magic is cursed. Yeah, cursed. It's cursed. It's the one part of like I've grown accustomed to it from looking at the map so much, but it's the one part of the map that like yeah. when I first looked at the Farron map didn't jive with me. Because, like, yeah. being a part of online D&D heavily and spending a lot of my time in the community and stuff, there's one thing that I don't like when world builders do, and it's when there's a map, and you look at the map, and it's like, okay, first of all, this is Australia. It's always Australia. It's just, like, this yeah. kind of big island. And it's just like, okay, first of all, what is this? And I think Eberron falls into this trap a little bit with Corvair. Corvair's just like, mm. it looks like Australia. It's like, this isn't a world map. This is right. this is an island. What is this? Give me Europe. Give me actual continents, not Australia. But either way, right. it's Australia. Yeah. And then, so Eberron falls into the Australia trap and then only slightly falls into this next trap. But the next trap is where on your island of Australia, when you look at it, it's like, here is the Greenlands. Immediately bordering that is a desert. Immediately bordering that is obvious evil land. And then in the north, there's Iceland. And then over here, there's forest. And it's just like, okay, what world is just perfectly divided into these biomes that are just like, you take one step and you're in the next biome. Also, evil land? What is right. this? Why is just one quarter <laughs> of your continent just black mountains? Come on. I wonder where the bad guy's going to yeah. come from. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always it's always desert it's always like they just take a desert and put it yeah. in some random spot on the map that doesn't even make any sense and it's like why 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 did you put the desert there it looks so wrong you just plopped a desert yeah. randomly in your australia and it doesn't make any sense well and like uh, and like they do this where they're like okay yeah favorite magic and then Okay, it makes sense. And then the Shadowvar came back and the Shadowvar were starting to make it lush again. Like if you look at 4E maps, it's green again. But then it's not anymore. Yeah, Spell Plague. For some reason. Spell Plague <laughs> fucked it up. No, no. But, <laughs> but it, uh, yeah, it's like the one part of the Faerun map that I think is a little bit too, I don't know, baby's first world map. Yeah, well, and like, I don't, once again, I don't really know. I, I'd ha I don't know what like the original Ed Greenwood drawings are. I wonder if he actually ended at a certain point and like he didn't really No, but I see he had Thay. Yeah, it just doesn't really make sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean and it's it's okay. Like I mean, I understand it is still a fantasy world and you want these fantastical biomes yeah. that don't make sense in our world. And like I fuck heavily with the uh giant hole in in Neverwinter, which has since been filled, but I prefer Neverwinter to have the giant hole. Right. Um and it, like, leads into the Underdark, and, like, monsters come out of it and stuff. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's could be comparable to, you know, evil land. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It's like I think there's a way to implement these kind of 
fantastical world building elements without it just being like i put a desert in the middle of my continent without any thought well and um, it's like and it's like here cool and there's thought with the favor and there's thought with something why is it hot though like that that's what doesn't make yeah, yeah yeah just make it a cold desert exactly and like I've gotten used to it with Farron, and it's cool, yeah. and I've come around to liking the Anorak Desert, and it's magical in nature and whatever. But when I first looked at the map, I did kind of eye it with that kind of like you had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but why? Why is it hot? The next episode, come back. Yeah, and tell I'll, us I'll, why t- it's I'll hot. tell you why it's hot. <laughs> also, tell us how it can border a glacier. <laughs> Because that's the other part. If it is hot here, what is it like a perfect wall of heat where you pass through the threshold into the desert, into the cold? Because it it borders ice. Well, no. So, yeah, I don't. So apparently. Is it like you take a step out of the heat? (laughs) Like apparently apparently the frozen sea, which is northish of the Arad, near the Kalunda, it's cold. That's a cold sand. Okay. So it gradually gets colder. And then the plane of then the plane of standing standing stones, which is between the sword and it, is also cold. So it does get so colder. It does, okay, so they did that right, at least. Yeah, they did that right. It's just, for some reason, the sword is hot. Ah. Hotter than anything else around. Weird. I don't know why. Yeah, weird. It shouldn't be that it shouldn't hot. Be that yeah. Hot. But yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think this area, we, we're just kind of starting on it. I, we'll get more into the whole Zentarum versus Bedin. But I like the Datarig. I think they actually kind of fall in a bit more of a natural idea of like a survivor people people who were like because there was a lot of dwarves who traded with netheries and there was the netheries the fact that they got together they worked together they uh made families together and then stayed at the edge of the desert makes a lot of sense yeah. for survivor state i like the idea and i would throw in if you guys went to the netheries desert or the anorak desert that mm. I would add into the Datarig, and if I made a Datarig PC, I would try yeah. and write this into their lore. Of course, with DM permission, whatever. Um, that uh, I would really like them to have part of their culture because they're also kind of wandering nomads, right? Yeah. Well, they have this city here. They have this city here, but they, they they have cities. They have cities. They don't. They they do like caravans and they go throughout the desert, right. but but uh, they have cities with. The either way, I would like to add in like with their lore. If I were to add stuff. Um, a bunch of Netheril holdover everyday magic that the Datarig don't understand it right. at all. Like, it's just become so commonplace to them. It's like, do you ever think about the history of the fork while right. you use a fork? No, you don't. You know how to craft the fork, but we don't think about where a fork came from, you know? And there's, like, a bunch of stuff in life that's like that, where it's like, that's just there. We use it. Um And I feel like you could do that with a Datarig, where it's just kind of, like, piecemeal leftovers of netheril magic Mm, mm. that they use in really interesting ways you know like they have maybe their uh caravans they're able to employ a special type of magically infused cloth that picks up winds better Mm. that helps them kind of skate along the sands right and you're like whoa how do you make these and they're like what do you mean how do we make them you just sew it up use this and it's like well no this is magic and they're like no it's just the way that they, they work we just make them we just grab the stuff and we use it and it's like wait what you know what i mean like yeah. all these like yeah. leftover holdover magical hold like they're not a magical culture they just have like these kind of magical holdovers yeah i think that's really cool i think i think that would be cool yeah, i think it's a really cool idea all right that's it for our journey today enjoy the oasis springs for next we travel deep into the desert can i add something yeah sure and always remember 
Explain why your deserts are hot. <laughs> Always remember to have an explanation for why your deserts are hot. Next episode, we'll cover the northern part of the Sword Desert with lots and lots of oases. And uh, we'll have a special guest on to talk about the Bedeen. Thank you, Lily, for joining me. Yeah. Thank you also for the amazing cover art. Not bad, no problem. <laughs> and Blood Dust for the theme music Around the Fire. You can find them in Bandcamp, links in the description of the episode. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, and have a great long rest. Bye.